Can I ask, did any of you say what you look for in a friend is somebody who's risky and dangerous? Anybody? You just need some more excitement in your life? Not not many of you. How about uh, somebody you're looking for a friend who's loyal to you? There's a few of those. And I, and I would certainly understand why you'd say that. Uh, uh, how about somebody who's fun? Because you're not much fun, okay? <laughs> I saw those hands go, okay. Uh, so, some of you who raised your hands about needing someone who's fun, I go to you for fun, so I must have a fun deficit. Uh, it is strange, isn't it, how we often gravitate to certain people because they are filling a need within us that we can't fill ourselves. Do you understand that this may be something that God has in mind or in store for you? That the people of God or the, just the people in the world are, are there to add something to one another that we can't do by ourselves. You know, in, in my role as a pastor, uh, I know that some of you feel that you should be able to come to me and I should be able to talk to you about your well-being and that I will give you my full attention and, uh, and, and you're expecting me to be um, uh, empathetic. You're expecting me to be a great listener. You're expecting to me to have all the right answers. Um, and, and you've been sadly disappointed. Nobody can do that for you. Probably not even in your own home. We make stabs at it. We really devote ourselves to it. And then you say, well, you should be because we're paying you to do this. You know, if you're really honest that as a friend, you would come to me and say, you know, Jim, you have some shortcomings. I go, duh, duh. And we're paying you for the shortcomings? Well, not really. But you you say, you know, I come to you and this is what I expect. I expect a well-adjusted, confident, and reliable, and passionate follower of Jesus Christ. So get with it. That's the friend that I need. Friend, that may not be the person I am all the time. In fact, two weeks ago, I shared with you how in two seasons of my life, uh, I've been fairly messy, fairly discouraged, and needed help from others to get me going again. But there is one thing, if you're seeking me out as a friend, as someone that you can trust, not just as a pastor, but as a person and a a fellow follower of Jesus Christ. There's one thing that I hope you can count on for me. And that is, somewhere, sometime, I'm going to bring God into the picture. And you might not have a whole lot of other friends who do that for you. In fact, you might have very few others that do that for you. In fact, you might be at a place of work where they're not even allowed to do that with you. And it's the word's not outlawed. Highly discouraged. Highly discouraged. But you can count on the fact that I believe that God is always at work. And because he's always at work, he's at work in every circumstance, every season, every situation you face in this life. And more than that, God has resources he wants to make available to you. And among those resources, I think, will be the people of God that you will find as your friends in Christ Jesus. Here at Bergen Park Church, we're using this transformation uh, growth slide. Let's see if we can get that up. There we go. And, and we're, we're still playing with it, but it's much easier to read this time, isn't it? 
I could see some of you squinting last week, and so we're sharpening it up. But the idea is that last week we were looking at going deeper with God. That's part of our transformation, not just sometimes, but all the time. And today we're talking about drawing closer to other Christians. So I want to explore the same character, because this is one person that we looked at last week. I want to explore that same character, Saul, who became known as Paul to us. And as we we study him, we watch that he had a dramatic experience where he suddenly uh, went very much deeper with God, and his whole mind was transformed as he realized that Jesus Christ was alive. More than that, now we see that there are people who come around him, some not willingly, but they come around him and they're provided by God to take him to places with God that he never would have gone by himself. In fact, without these people who came to him to befriend him, Paul would still be in a cellar in Damascus, a blind beggar and a pariah to his own people. Do you realize that God brings people into your life? And more than that, do you realize that God is bringing you into other people's lives? You're part of his transformational plan for yourself and for others. So the friends we're going to focus on today, I I want you to ask, do you have friends like these? More than that, are you a friend like this to others? Because when God does transform you, he'll be drawing you closer to other Christians. Not sometimes, but all the time. So we left Saul uh, after a vision that he had of the risen Christ last week. And he had a word from Jesus, not just a vision, but a word from Jesus. And uh, it was that uh, Saul was persecuting Jesus, who was risen, not just the believers that he wanted to persecute. And he's left blind from that experience, and he's escorted into Damascus. He makes uh, his journey to persecute other Christians. But God has other plans for him, so he's not going to be a persecutor, but a proclaimer of Jesus Christ. And his mind totally changes his, his view of who this Jesus is. He knows that Jesus is alive. He calls him Lord. And uh, his mind has totally changed in his heart about who this Jesus is and the place he has in history. But God just doesn't want to change his mind. God has bigger plans for this new convert. God wants to use this new convert, not just keep him blind. So to begin the process from persecution to proclaimer, God speaks a re, uh, speaks to a reluctant believer. And his name is Ananias. If you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 9 is the place where we're going to spend most of our time today. So we know that... Uh, Saul has been taken and and escorted, you might say, into Damascus, put in a home, and he's just waiting for three days. And it says in verse 10 of Acts chapter 9, in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias, and the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. And ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Okay, could anything be more clear? Anything. I'm talking to you. I didn't get my name wrong. I'm talking to you. And this is what I want you to do. 
I, I don't know how anything could be more clear. So Ananias, of course, said, right away, Lord, I'm all, I'm all over it. No, Ananias goes, you know, I'm not sure that's a good idea. He knows Saul by his reputation before the vision came. Saul is a Christian persecutor. So here is what comes next. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to you, uh, to your saints in Jerusalem. And uh, he's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. Have you, sh- are you sure you got your plan right? Because, Lord, uh, I'm, I'm risking something here. If I do this, I might become one of the persecuted, one of the arrested. I might go back in chains to, to Jerusalem. Uh, I might be told, deny the faith in Christ or die. I would understand Ananias saying that. And, and so God does have an answer. Now, I, I, I'm going to read this, and then I want you to think, how, how would you read it? But the Lord said to Ananias, go. <laughs> and it has an exclamation point. An exclamation point. When you see an exclamation point, you might state it some, some other way. You might say, go! Or you might be understated, just go. The exclamation point is different than a dash. If you see a dash, what are you thinking for? More information is coming. Ananias wants more information. Will you protect me? Lord, uh, will it turn out okay? Is everything you said true? Could you just repeat it one more time? We want a dash. But instead he gets an an exclamation point, not an (laughs) explanation. Okay. That really worked last night. Okay, but John, but God just gives him the order. And you see what Ananias does is he eventually obeys. And Saul will be forever grateful that this person he's never met before, but whose name he's heard in a vision, has come. And, and what this Ananias does. So Ananias will also be grateful himself. And today, let's be honest, we're all grateful that Ananias did this. Otherwise... Saul would have died blind. He would have been a believer, but he wouldn't have had the effect that God wanted. So Ananias does go. And he he goes and he says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who has appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. And he could see again, and he got up and was baptized. I mean, that's just an amazing encounter when you think about it, how, how quickly it happens. And we don't know if it, there weren't any other words or any other actions in between those, but it is just immediate. So not only does Ananias get in on a changed man, but Ananias, by doing what God has told him, sees God's power work through him. Through, through him. You see, Saul regains his physical sight, And now he's seeing Jesus with new insight that he never had before. 
So then we find out that once this happens, he's baptized, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Then it says, Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. And at once he began to preach in the synagogues uh, that Jesus is the Son of God. You see, he's a man of immediacy. More than that, he is so well educated. He has got the Old Testament down, the Law and the Prophets, so well that through this experience... He's able to translate everything that he thought he knew into now seeing Jesus as the Messiah who, who he thought was still coming. But now it's all fulfilled in Christ. Somewhere along the line, I imagine that Ananias sits back in his lazy boy chair and, and reflects on his life. And he has this thought. Lord, I helped get Paul started. I was at the foundation of his life. I don't know if you're going to use me for anything else in my life, but man, it was so great that I was so brave. No, no, sorry. It was so great that you wouldn't leave me alone. He did not teach Saul much. There was nothing really that he could add. But he helps this man to see physically, spiritually, and to be filled with the Holy Spirit. How do you describe a friend like this? And this is what I want to say. Each of these friends that come into his life, there's something different about them that I think you desperately need in your life. And the way I describe this man, his key descriptor, Ananias, is he just decides to be obedient to God. Friends, I have known all sorts of Christians, and guess what? I've been one who isn't as, be, as obedient to God as I need to be. But there needs to be people in my life that I trust that they will do the right thing. When God speaks, they will follow through. Do you have those friends and are you such a friend? You see, fear of the unwanted consequences was keeping Ananias away from obeying God. And Ananias does not want to become one of Saul's prisoners uh, taken back to Jerusalem for trial. It's obedience to God that God desires. Do you know, friends, who you can say, when it gets down to it, if they know what God wants, she will do it, he will do it, they will do it? I was, uh, I was facing four lanes of traffic on the San Bernardino Freeway in 1966. I'd come back from skiing, had to slam on the brakes. My car ran around one and a half times. I was facing and all the cars were going around me. Um, I just might want to say, don't buy a Nash Rambler. Uh, The brakes are bad. But then you can't buy a Nash Rambler anyway, can you anymore? Okay. Uh, So the, the car just spun around one and a half times. And sitting with me is a Christian, a guy a year younger, whose parents won't let him drive up skiing. And he's taking advantage of me. And I know that. But I just stop for a minute and I'm frozen watching all these headlights. And he goes, what are you thinking? And I, I, to be honest with you, I'm white. I'm just white with fear. And he says, I'm thinking we're supposed to thank God in every situation. And he bows his head and prays. That Dave Williams... I got myself out of there. I turned that car around and I got out of there while he was still praying. 
But from that early moment of my Christian life, I saw a person take God seriously in all situations. Give thanks to God in everything. It also says for everything, which I'm still learning to do. I need obedient friends. Are you an obedient friend? The second friend is really a whole series of friends that come to him. And and the way I describe these is these are sort of co-laborers or partners in the ministry with him. So it says that he starts preaching immediately. And uh, as he's preaching, guess what happens? There's opposition. Just as uh, Jesus speaks to the Pharisees and they begin to hate him, as, as Saul begins to speak to the Jews in Damascus, they begin to hate him too. Why? Because he is proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah, a God's chosen one, the one that they had been waiting for, and they missed him. What really hurts is they missed him. So as he's preaching this, the people, the Jews in Damascus, get really upset, and they plan to do to Saul what the Pharisees did to Jesus. They want to kill him. And the idea is that on his way out of town, one of these days, we're going to watch the Damascus gate, we're going to kidnap him, we're going to take him away, and we're going to kill him. Simple as that. Uh, It's been tried before. It's been done before. So... That's their plan. He learns of it. And now as he is preaching, it says that his followers get him together and they take him up to the top of the Damascus wall, not the gate, and they lower him in a basket. Now, it's very demeaning to go out of a town in a basket lowered by a rope. And, and you know, I want to be honest. As I was thinking about this, you don't usually exit a town through a basket by a rope from the top of the wall. How do they come up with that? Um, how do you get contraband in to its town? And if it's tax season coming up, how do you hide your assets? You take them over the wall and you drop them. I think a lot of people in Damascus knew about how to use a basket over a wall. But they'd never dropped a person that way before. So there you go. It's a known practice. Uh, people hide things or, or, or uh, you might say, uh, disguise things. And they use that basket all the time so it can't be checked. So he is surrounded by these people who have a faith in Christ and who support Saul in the work of Christ. And they join with them in various ways. So some are invited co-laborers who gather around him. They co-labor with him, sometimes never by leaving the town that he comes to, and he plants a church in. And they stay in that community, and they work in that church, and they do the work of God in that little community. Others travel with him. And you will find that in Saul's travels, because he becomes known as Paul, people like Timothy, Titus, John Mark, a whole series of young men, uh, men, uh, Saul asked to partner with him as he goes on his missionary journeys. There are others that, uh, that are, you know, well, well, these young men go from being uh, helpers to leaders because they're being taught and discipled and watching a, a seasoned veteran do it as they're with him. There are others who, who travel with him who get new visions as they're with him. Luke is a doctor who comes to faith and he travels with Saul. 
and he hears them teach. And, and Luke has a special ability to work with the educated and is so concerned for them that he researches the best uh, factual gospel of all and he targets it for the Greeks. Priscilla and Quilla are a couple that are well-skilled in the Old Testament, but they also own a family business, the same sort of family business that Saul has worked in, tent-making and sale-making. So they employ Saul when he needs a job. But they are also, because they're so keen in, 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 in terms of their knowledge of the Bible, that they can take people aside and answer the questions uh, that Paul does not have time for. And they can take people aside when Saul leaves them and straighten out their doctrine. What are these people like? And do you have friends like these? How do you describe them? What's the key descriptor? They have a shared heart for God with you. I know I have many friends. I have many Christian friends. But there's some of those friends who, who they say, you know, I believe God has me on this earth for a purpose. And I believe that I'm supposed to start using that purpose. You will find yourself, you might say, gravitating towards one another as you're within a church. You understand what others are doing and why they are doing it. And if you sense your heart for God leading you to, uh, to be encouraging others or working with others, I want you to know we would love to encourage you in that. In fact, what we would like to say to you is, you know, Bergen Park Church is the church where either it began again or it began for the first time. Where my heart for God was developing and growing and transforming. Bergen Park Church, not the institution, but the people of it, is the church where people finally got me to volunteer. Bergen Park Church is the church where I gathered around with the people of God and I began to grow with them. Bergen Park Church is where I was encouraged to move forward in my relationship with God. We want you to have a shared heart for God and to have friends who share that heart for God. Um, Again, early in my Christian life, Saul is older than I was. He's much wiser, much more educated, has a much better background than me. But I had two missionary kids among my first friends. And I had others that were fairly new in Christ. The missionary kids were jaded. All missionary kids are not jaded. I married one. She's not jaded. She's great, okay? But some are. And uh, they ended up in a Spanish jail. You can guess why. But they were the ones who sort of said, oh, Jim, take it easy. It doesn't matter. Just relax. And there's nothing wrong with relaxing. I don't, you know, I'm not against that. But I had one who said, Jim, would you do this with me? I said, well, how do we do it? I don't know. I've never done it before. What are we going to do? Well, I'd like to see if we can get a Bible study started at our high school. No, at the high school? Yeah. When? Because I'm really busy now. Oh, my, my schedule has filled so quickly. It's just amazing. No, I'd like to see if we can get a Bible study started at our high school. Okay. 
I would not have done that without his shared heart for God. I would not even have tried. And these are the ones that tend to gravitate towards one another. Do you know people whose heart for God you want to be around? That's the type of friend that only the church can offer you. Um, There's a third friend that comes into the picture. Uh, A companion. He is a co-laborer, a a partner in the ministry. Um, But he also makes a huge difference in Saul's life. And it's stated this way. Uh, Saul, because he's had to escape in a basket down a rope, decides the next best thing for him to do is to go to Jerusalem and meet the apostles, get into the apostles' club, get affirmed by the apostles. So he goes to Jerusalem, and for some reason, nobody wants to touch him. He's too hot to handle. He's too big of a risk. So, you know, as he gets there, he's finding that the Christians, first the disciples and the apostles, their schedule gets really busy too. We just don't have time for them. In fact, they're hiding from him, except for one. His name is Joseph of Cyprus. Joseph of Cyprus, you can find out more about in Acts chapter 5, but Joseph of Cyprus is one of these disciples who didn't grow up in Jerusalem, but became a Christian out of Judaism. And he has a character and a sense of behavior and generosity in his life where they just say, you're no longer Joseph. Your name will be Barnabas from now on. Barnabas, bar, meaning son of. Nabus, I guess, means encouragement. His name is son of encouragement. And that's his nickname, but it, it, it really fits. So he becomes the son of encouragement. Now listen, Saul begins as a terminator, right? He wants to get rid of Christianity. God sets Saul aside so he can become the innovator. What do I mean by innovator? It is Saul who would come up with this, that we are saved by faith alone in Christ's grace alone. That's grace. We are saved by faith alone in Christ alone. And the reformers would repeat this, but nobody else had that concept. Well, along comes the son of encouragement, and he sees the one who is the terminator, who he had a vision might be the innovator, and you'd say Barnabas is the confirminator. He confirms, I made that word up. If you Google it, uh, it might be there because I tried and I tried and I tried to put it in there. Barnabas sees what God is doing. He tells them to keep going because here's here's what's happened. Um, Many non-Jews become Christians in this city of of Syria called Antioch. And um, the apostles just don't know how to quite deal with this. So they send up somebody who's not been in Jerusalem all of his life. And they send him up and Saul... uh, 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 Barnabas sees them and he encourages them to keep going. And, and, and so, but as he looks at it, he says, you know, these people have no background at all. They've never been in a Bible study. They've probably never opened a Bible. If they have a Bible, it's one they put on the coffee table to show how religious they are. But, 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 but it's dusty. The binder's never been broken. You know, it, it's just a showpiece. So he says, let's see, do I know anybody... I know that's not my gift, but do I know anybody who can do this? I can encourage them. 
I'm not the teacher. And he very quietly connects the dots. He connects the dots and he takes a a two-day sail trip across a bay to find Saul who has been sent to Tarsus, his hometown. So Barnabas makes that trip. He finds Saul. He convinces him that he could be of help to to the Lord in Antioch. Saul hears that he might be of help to the Lord in Antioch, and he takes a long time to decide. Two seconds. He says, let's go. And off they go together, and Saul becomes the teaching leader of this new flock of of, of followers of Jesus who know nothing, and they know nothing in a non-Jewish way. And the best person to reach them is not any of the apostles who have been Jews all their lives, but someone who spent time in the, in the Greek culture. And that is Saul. And out of that church, you find the first mostly Gentile church in the world. Out of that church, you find the first church to encourage the Jewish believers in Jerusalem. Out of that church, you find the first uh, purposeful mission-sending church. Because a person by the name of Barnabas goes and looks for Saul. What's the key descriptor here? He envisions Barnabas. He envisions the purposes of God in Saul's life. And he seeks out Saul twice. Once in Jerusalem. Once in, once in Tarsus. You would describe Saul as one who envisions a great future for other believers. Isn't that great? I love that. I love that. I need friends like that. You do too. I want to say this. If there's some resources here at Bergen Park Church that, you know, I, I realize many of you are checking us out. Is this a place you'd call your church? Is this a place where you would get involved? I, I, I want to say that here's three things that I think really can fit you. The first is this. We are called to be an intergenerational ministry. That shows up, at least in my life, that in the growth group I meet with uh, uh, twice a month, that we have 30-somethings, 50-somethings, and 60-somethings. And we're still looking for a 40-something, okay? But the way the 30-somethings are going, it won't be long, okay? (laughs) And then I'll be a (laughs) 70-something. That's just the way it'll be. And I, do you, I mean... I, I don't approach this like, oh, listen to me, the great father, who knows everything there is about parenting, who knows everything there is about being 30. I don't remember what 30 was like. But in an intergenerational community, we learn from one another. And I find that, you know, people are struggling with the same things, but just in a little different context. And so... We understand here that we are struggling hard to continue to be an intergenerational ministry where people of all ages and all stages contribute to the life of this church. And these will be the friends. And I encourage you, if you only hang out with those of your age group, stretch. Go further. Find a gray hair if you're young. Find someone with hair if you're old, okay? (laughs) It's not that hard. 
and develop and realize that I can learn from this person and this person can learn from me. Secondly, we're called to encourage one another by drawing closer. And I realize that is risky. Uh, as an example, some people come to me from time to time and they mention my faults and my weaknesses. I'm aware of those. You know, I, I have no problem saying, hey, I'm a sinner. I just don't want you telling me I'm a sinner. And nobody else does either. But I can, I can gravitate towards that. I can resonate that. In fact, I can say, I can top what you see. I'm not looking for people to remind me of my sins, but to encourage me beyond them. And our desire for you is that you experience here at Bergen Park Church to move from being, you might say, a church attender to a Christian encourager. That we are all called to encourage one another and build up one another in Christ. The final thing is, um, um, I'm sort of going to be going away from why several of you came to this church. Uh, The final thing is that what ultimately makes a church attractive is not its facility. Now, I'm not leaving this facility going back to where we were. No way. And I'm not pining for it. I love the fact that there's more than one toilet in each restroom. I love the fact that our children are getting a good facility with good teaching. I love everything about this facility. And some of you said, you know, we watched it go up. Something must be happening here. But when it ends up, the final thing is what Jesus told us. How do I know that's a good church? How do I know? By the money that flows through? By the cars in the parking lot? You know it's a good church because Jesus said, by this will all men know that you are my disciples. If you... Louder. Love. If you love one another. And that's all. That's all. I pray at Bergen Park Church, not only will you be loved, but you can love. I pray that you would have the relationships you need to prove that Jesus was right. So you have three very, very, very good friends that I think only the church can deliver. One who obeys God at all costs. One who you might say is a co-laborer, has a shared heart for God. One who envisions God's purposes for others. God's purposes are, I mean, God is in all of these, so it's going to be Christians who are these type of friends. And as we are, as you are here, our, our request is that you would draw closer to these Christians. And you will have to make an effort. Here at Bergen Park Church, we've just introduced some. There's a lobby. Start there. Okay? Start there. Get to know people if you're new to us so that you can begin relationships there. And more than that, you saw the table connections that are coming up. There's a great place. It won't be necessarily that deep. You won't go into how many angels fit on the head of a pin, the type of theology, but you'll get to know some wonderful people. 
probably also new here. And then we have growth groups. And we also have co-laborers. We have, you know, we were stunned when we realized when we opened this church in March of, uh, uh, that was last year, wasn't it? Okay, March last year, that we believed we needed about 80 people to volunteer on a consistent basis to make it work. Do you know how many Sundays we didn't have 80 people? That was amazing. We didn't even have them. We believed we needed that many, and God provided. We have many co-laborers. Draw closer if you're here. I'm going to pray in just a minute. But I need to add one thing. And that is, it may not be in the church where you need to draw closer. It may be in your own home. Maybe that's where the stress is. It may be that, um, in fact, not maybe, I know this because you send in prayer requests. And about two-thirds of your prayer requests are for family members. Or very good friends. And maybe those are the relationships where you need to draw closer. And I would love to be praying with you as well as people in our prayer team would love to pray with you in that. So be aware, that's, that may be where you start. So I'm going to pray in just a minute, and we're going to close in the same way we did last week. There's cards in your programs where you can answer that very simple question of how you would like to draw closer. And I'll read it out exactly as it's written. What do you desire other Christians to count on from you as they draw closer to you? In other words, what do you want them to see in you that would be a magnet for them? Yeah, I'm putting you in ministry. What do you desire other Christians to count on from you as they draw closer to you? And at the end of the service, you can just come and drop that in. Those are prayed for. Amazing how you wanted to draw closer to God last week. Now, uh, go deeper with God, and now this week, draw closer to him. So let's end in prayer. And you bring up this whole idea of relationships with other Christians. You just talk to God. Are you lonely? Are you defeated? And no one wants to help you. Are you isolated? Are you hiding? Are you ashamed? And you believe no one would love you? Have you given up? Very simply, Lord, these people need one who will obey you, one who will co-labor with them, one who will envision a great and marvelous future used by you. And Saul's our example. And you did pretty good. And we believe that you can do the same in every life here. Lord, help us to identify what is it that other Christians could count on from us
as they draw closer. We'll thank you in Jesus' name, God's people said.